1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of Chasing Fritz, and I'm joined this week by my good buddy, Joe Gore. How you doing, Joe?
2: I'm doing great, and especially stoked about our, our guest this week. It's the fabulous Richard Fortas.
1: Yeah, and right when we were first putting this whole podcast together, he was one of the names that uh, that you you offered out there, and a lot of people know him from his 20 now years, close to uh playing in Guns N' Roses and involved with them but he also has quite a deep history with psychedelic furs.
2: Yeah, and yeah, and he was a you know, he was a session player of note earlier in his career and just interesting, dude. Also, um you know, he grew up in the musical instrument industry. His his dad um was one of the guys who ran St. Louis Music back when he was a kid, so he's sort of a uh, guitar lifer, you know.
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And he played violin as a kid, did the Suzuki thing, and the, and the plays whole deal. He cello, so, too. Don't you hate
2: him? He's, he's, <laughs> he's, the, he's the sweetest, most down-to-earth guy in the world. And as you'll see, he's just a, he's just a delight.
1: Yeah. So today's episode, we're going to talk about, uh, he produced the new Psychedelic Furs record.
2: Which just came out like a couple days ago.
1: Yeah. And we're going to talk about his history with with that band, which goes back until, like, he was like 15 or 16, you know, is when he first uh started even opening for them as he tells the story. And he also gives some backstory on how the Guns N' Roses gig came together. Yeah,
2: he's very he's very forthcoming about the Guns N' Roses situation. It's um there's some really um interesting little tidbits you'll pick up as you listen.
1: Yeah, so we're gonna hit that episode today and we're gonna have Richard back all the rest of this week. So let's jump right to our conversation with Richard Fortas. <laughs>
2: Hey Richard, thanks for joining us today. We've really been looking forward to hanging out with you. Um, one thing that Jason and I were thinking about is that more than once in your career, you've had the position of stepping in and being the guitarist with artists who have a, a long legacy, a well-defined sound, intense relationship with their fans, and a pretty heavy audience expectation about what they want to hear. And, uh, we were wondering if you talk about how you strike the balance between honoring the tradition and meeting audience expectations while also being true to yourself. And, um, you know, this is, you, you know, obviously with, with, with guns and roses and, you know, you've been playing with Richard Butler from psychedelic furs for decades, but not in the very original version in the band. And when we were talking before the interview, you mentioned another notable example, which I'll let you talk about, but, um, you found yourself in that position more than once. Can you talk about that a little?
0: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Um, I'm flattered to be here. I started out with my own band, you know, and uh, originally got signed to a record label and we built up a big Midwest following and, you know, tra- we kept expanding and moving further and further out. So we go to, you know, from I'm from St. Louis and uh, we would draw, you know, we would start playing all the college towns around. So Columbia, Missouri, uh, you know in Illinois, Carbondale and Springfield, Missouri, and then um, Indiana and Chicago, you know, just sort of pushing out further and further. Um so I mean I was and, and it was really I mean I, I think I had somehow become the driving force of that band. You know, in songwriting it was myself and the singer and um so are we talking was, about the
2: de- we're talking about the Dead Daisies?
0: No, 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 no. This is a band oh. called Pale Divine. Okay. This is when I was a kid, you know, oh, okay. 15 years old, my first band. And we signed with Atlantic Records and ended up touring, supporting the Furs, and who were one of my favorite bands. Uh, I saw them first when I was, I guess, like 15 on the Forever Now tour. And we toured supporting them. And then they found out I played violin and, uh, cello and they started inviting me up to play with them uh after our set so that's how i sort of got in with that band i became friends with richard and with knox chandler um as well as uh you know john ashton and so then richard was gonna do a solo album after that record and asked if he'd asked me if i would want to come up to new york and write with him and that's when i moved to New York and we what ended up becoming two Love Spit Love albums and not a solo album uh because it was Richard and I really writing the entire thing and we got to the end of it and he said you know I don't feel comfortable calling this a solo album so that was so you know I, again that was my baby you know that was you know he and I wrote the songs um and then he asked me to co-produce the second album with him and and ben gross uh and then they en- he ended up putting the furs back together and touring and i was a second guitarist with john and then eventually took over for john as well when they had a falling out and uh, for a brief period um it, you know it's a uh it's a tricky thing when you're coming into because you obviously you want to bring your own character to it to the to the role, to those songs, but you have to you have to really uh, have some reverence for the song and the original parts, and so it's a fine line. It's a delicate balance that you walk between your own personality and honoring the originality of the song to begin with, you know. And the same with guns, uh, y- you know, coming into especially with guns because fans are so attached to the appetite album is so it's, there's not a lot of room for bringing your own thing, but, uh, it really has since, especially since slash has come back, there's a lot of, there's a lot more openness and room for us to, for me to inject myself in. And, uh, but we, I was mentioning before that the biggest, the hardest, biggest, um, honor for me to was when I was asked to join Thin Lizzy, because that was a band that I grew up listening to and was very important to me and really helped develop my ideals of what the perfect rock guitar tone was. And, you know, it, it all sort of, it, I was very uh, indebted to them and uh, it, it was a great thrill to be able to play guitar harmonies with Scott Gorham, you know, that was a huge thing for me. And in that instance, I really wanted to, because it's so intricate the parts are and how they play to how you play together. I really spent a lot of time copying Brian's vibrato, uh, Robertson's vibrato, as well as Gary Moore, and really sort of honing that in because they really would match their vibrato, which was I thought really cool, and I wanted to nail that and then i showed up to, to rehearsal in ireland with those guys and scott had a a les paul with a with a floyd rose on it and was doing his vibrato with the bar and i was like whoa dude you're messing up the whole thing here <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was really uh it, it was difficult to, <laughs> to that i had to adapt on the fly to uh, To that, but man, what a blast that was to
2: do that uh tour. That's you're talking about the vibrato, and and it's not often that I hear a guitarist say something about matching the vibrato, but also you know, you grew up playing both string instruments and you're playing in a section where matching the vibrato is your daily business. That's right. That's right, essential.
0: Yeah. And uh and on those records, like you listen to Live and Dangerous, and they really you can tell they spent a lot of time working that stuff out it sort of all went out the window but
2: (laughs) which is which is your favorite which is your favorite uh what was your favorite death and lizzie song to play
0: uh probably black rose The gary moore parts are just so intense so great god what an amazing player
1: can you tell us a little bit about how uh your kind of backstory getting into the guns and roses gig
0: Uh, Okay. This is an interesting one. I was actually called, I was doing a lot of sessions in New York and was sort of like one of the guys in New York, as far as like guitar player, rock guitar players that you go to. I'd always been more like of a alternative type of music guy. And so I was surprised, but I got a call from Guns N' Roses asking if I'd be interested in auditioning. And I said, well, yeah, I'm going to be out there in a couple of weeks doing an album and, uh, I'd be happy to come out and audition then. And they're like, Oh, that's perfect. That's going to work out great timing wise. And we spoke back and forth. They sent me songs to learn. And, um, and then a few days before I'm like, I still had, I hadn't been hearing back from them for like uh, a week. And so I'm calling and I wasn't getting any callback. So I thought, okay, well, I guess that's not happening. And then I get out, so I still go out there to do this album that I was scheduled to do. And on the session was Tommy Stinson and Josh Freeze, who were both in GNR at that time. And so I was like, oh, this is crazy. I was supposed to come out and audition for you guys. And it was the first time I'd met either of them. And they were like, oh, you're the guy from New York. Then, you know, Axel found this guy, Buckethead, and called off all the rest of the auditions. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, Tommy and I went out that night and became best friends. And like we've been, you know, super close ever since then. And that was my first experience. I didn't get to audition, but then a couple of years later, maybe a year and a half later, they were looking for somebody again um, because there was a guitar player that played a couple of shows with them that was uh, named Paul, that was Axel's childhood friend that had come in. And the, he left, so they were looking for somebody to fill that role, so they called me again. And that, and I was actually in the middle of a tour in Europe, and I flew, had two days off, so I flew into LA and did the audition, got back on a plane, and went back, finished the tour. But yeah, that was my entrance.
2: I believe you're the only person who survived both the uh, Axel only version of Guns N' Roses with Buckethead and Brain and Tommy and Robin but then also played in the the proper Guns N' Roses where you're the you're the only new guy among the all original band that sounds like not true okay thank you Dizzy Reed the keyboard player okay he's been there he's been there the whole time can you pair the ex- compare the experience between the two uh, versions of uh, the band no
0: <laughs> you can't <laughs> <laughs> i mean literally you can't it's it's two completely different things completely different things just the the overall vibe everything about it is different the experience of playing you know of being on stage and that chemistry that you know there really wasn't much of a chemistry there was for a brief moment with robin after bucket left for a minute there it was just robin and myself and we were doing rehearsals and brain and it was phenomenal i mean absolutely amazing and literally i think it was two days before we were supposed to do our first show you know everyone was just the 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 energy was palpable i mean everybody that was in the room was like you knew something was happening i mean it was electric it was really outstanding and i i'd never had that feeling before of like oh my god this is this is incredible axel came down like was just I mean, he was like, this is the band I've always wanted. The next day, Bumblefoot comes in. And I guess, you know, Axel had, they'd found this guy and he came in and the whole dynamic just completely shifted. So, uh, you know, that, but the vibe in the band now is, it's even beyond what that ever was. It's, it's really uh, incredible. Slash is just such a, a an incredibly natural, uh, musician, and uh, it, it, it's just, you know, there's a reason why he is the legend he is.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how, kind of musically speaking, the parts you play, how they have kind of progressed between the various iterations of guns? Uh,
0: that's a that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's been very interesting because, uh, you know, as different players come and go, you know, my parts morph and change. To encompass different to cover different parts so it's it's uh constantly evolving you know obviously when slash came in the parts of his that i was playing
1: right yeah
0: i wasn't going to be playing anymore
1: (laughs) his parts
0: Um, but you know he's been incredibly gracious with me as a player and uh you know it's you know when i first when he first started was coming back Friends, mutual friends of ours are like, man, you know, good luck getting beyond the fifth fret. <laughs> but it, it's, I have not experienced that at all. He's been incredibly gracious and really uh, an inspiration to play with. And very, it's, it, it's very competitive in a very, very friendly, same team type of way, you know, it, like always pushing each other, which I, I, am flattered to have to be in that role, you know, and for him to welcome it.
1: To build on Joe's question he asked you before, what what's your favorite gun song to play live? When you see it on the set list, you're like, no matter what, that's that's the song I'm looking forward to the most.
0: You know, generally it's the newest one. (laughs)
1: Like newest newest to the set list or newest newly created?
0: Newest to the to the set list, yeah. You know, to us consistently, you know, we did, Slash and I did this duet for a long time while they would get the piano in place to do November Rain. The two of us would do, and this happened at soundcheck of the first show. And Axel had a broken leg. Um, so it was the first arena show. We played a club show where he broke his foot and was in a cast and in a chair. And we were trying, we were at check trying to figure how the hell we were going to do this. Like how we were going to pull this off with our front man now in a chair, you know, how we were going to pull this off. And the question of, okay, how do we get the piano up? And this is going to take time because then we got to wheel him out to the piano. And at that point, he's like, you guys got to do something while we get this all in place. So Slash looks at me, he's like, what do you want to play? And I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, what about Wish You Were Here? And I was like, sure, let's try it. So the two of us, Soundcheck, he started playing it and I played the vocal melody, you know, because it's got to be there, right? And then we just went back and forth over the progression, you know, trading solos, you know, and and the band comes in and we did this just off the cuff at Soundcheck and the crew, which is the most hardened bunch of uh, (laughs) pirates you'd ever come across um and are incredibly unimpressed by anything uh were stopped and applauded we it, it was just magical it was just like one of those and, and so we did that we did that for two or three years <laughs> in this show and that was my favorite thing because it was different every night you know and there's a few things like that like uh heaven's door is different every night we never you know it's just there's this big open section and we don't know what's going to happen and it's You know, and man, one thing, and this is a real testament to the legend that is Slash, um, he he never plays the same thing twice in situations like that. And, you know, as a guitar player, uh, you know, you sort of fall into your ruts, don't you? You know, you get into your your lead that you like, you know, or that you feel, com- you know, your licks that you feel comfortable with in that song, and you-
2: I have no idea. What, I have no idea what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens.
0: <laughs> I, I, I know, but, but for us, uh, no, no, mortals, I'm, I'm being
2: sarc- of course, everybody, <laughs> everybody does that almost.
0: <laughs> he doesn't, yeah. and I love that. So, so it makes me not be able to do it, and I, I, you know, and so it's that. That's what I mean by that. Like. Uh, Competitive, like we push each other because we, we don't want to fall back and rest on our laurels. We want to like, and, and because he does it, and and I'll say this, I've said this before about him. He comes out every night and does a guitar solo. Axel introduces him, and he just plays. And a lot of times, we'll you mean you mean solo with no accompaniment, just the by himself, alone. Yeah. walks to the front of the stage and just plays. I've never heard him repeat himself.
1: How can we get a whole album of that? How can we just right? like get the board tapes for all the act- for the solos and
0: I, I'll be honest man, sometimes it is the hair on my arms is standing up and it's it's hard to cuz we'll come like sometimes we'll come in with a progression behind him and he'll sort of lead it and it, it uh it, there's times when it's it's very difficult for me to focus on what I'm doing cuz I'm listening to him and it's just awe-inspiring um and uh you know some nights are not magical some nights, you know you're like ooh but you know overall his his musicality and i think that's the sign of a of real genius i mean you listen to jeff beck and one night he is the greatest player ever and then the next night you know is not so great um, and, and Hendrix, like every show, was so different. I don't know if you remember they they released a box set of like four different concerts with Hendrix over the course of four years, and each set was a lot of the same songs, completely different versions. I mean, just complete. He played completely different. That's genius. You, know, you listen to um, bootlegs of Hendrix and. and on the same tour within different nights you know he just completely played different things and approached the song completely differently i love that i love
1: that i I think as far as like as anthemic and iconic as all the parts and solos he played on those records that tends to like make me think that slash is a very underrated improviser Absolutely, because absolutely that kind of output you only really see like when yourself when you're seeing him night after night after night after night and seeing him constantly creating when you know a huge number of his fans are so ingrained and have those albums just memorized in their head. And
0: you know what, he he can't improvise the solo to "Sweet Child," right? Right? You know because when we play South America, every person, eighty thousand people. Are singing the guitar solo. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, so you can't improvise that. But you know, there are sections when he does.
1: That's not the time to break out the whole tone scale. Exactly. <laughs> Did you clue you in on the whole <laughs> tone? <laughs> That's not. Yeah,
0: the time yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the time to experiment.
2: When, but, you were, uh, when, um, for for people listening, when 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 Jason and Richard and I were prepping for this interview via messages, uh. Uh, Richard said the topics could include uh, when to use uh, the whole tone scale in rock and roll, and I'll I'll let you give your own answer.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I told Joe never. The answer is never. You never use them. <laughs> but I was joking, of course. I I'm I lo- I rely on that scale heavily. <laughs> not, not really.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to wrap up uh, this episode, Richard, uh, if you were. It seems like a lot of your, uh, especially your childhood heroes in Thin Lizzy, you know, come to fruition where you're actually playing the band and trading solos with this, with uh, with uh, with Scott. What band, if you were to like put it out there into the world and it's gonna it's gonna come together someday, what band would you want to go on tour with and play guitar solos in?
0: Oh, oh, uh Ronwood. Oh, there you go. That's a good one. But I don't want him to die. No. You know, it's funny because I got a call um, from Rod Stewart years ago. And uh, I was like, Are you kidding me? Would I want to play with Rod Stewart? Of course I would. Rod's going to play rock and roll again. And they're like, Well, you know, we do play some rock stuff. And uh, this was Chuck Kent, the musical director. And uh, he's like, But, you know, then we put on tuxedos and we do the standard stuff. And I was like, Oh, oh, well, why are you calling me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's like well you can do that and i'm like you well, i can but i mean that i don't know that yeah i was so excited to play faces stuff oh, oh my god
1: that would have been killer cool that yeah.
0: would be that would be the, yeah. the
1: gig all right well richard's gonna join us uh, the rest of this week we have a couple more fun topics uh coming up this week so thanks again richard and we'll see you guys later this week
0: yeah thank you so much for having me